0: Welcome to Dublin's Draft My name is Craig, I am one of your hosts And this is not how I start an episode This is episode 27, recorded on the 22nd of May 2013 My name is Craig, I am one of your hosts I am alone tonight, it is just me I'm afraid But, that doesn't mean we can't have a podcast Uh, First, I do wish to apologise for the lack of podcasts over the last recent period In short, there was recording a fortnight ago So that was on, what, the 8th of May I want to say me and Steve did record part of an episode, but neither of us were very happy with the quality. So we decided to bin it, and unfortunately that was so late to the evening at that stage, we didn't get an opportunity to uh, re-record it that evening. So we decided we'd leave it for a week and just sort of skip a week. And then the next week came up, and uh, yeah, we both didn't really get together at all online or anything. Um, my schedule has been really uh, frantic uh, as of late. I've been all over the shop. Geographically, as well as, uh, work-wise, and, um, it's been the same for Steve. So, yeah, we never got together. So, I do wish to apologize for the sort of two-week hiatus which happened, um, back now. I know it's just me, but I'm here, and, um, yeah, let us crack on with it. So, that doesn't move on to the news. Magic 2014 is coming up. That will be released on the 19th of July. I know that because it's two days after my birthday. We're starting to get spoilers for M14. Uh, in fact, if you go over to MTG Salvation, I want to say there's about 75 spoilers as of time of recording. Undoubtedly, by the time you listen to this, there'll be slightly more. So, yeah, uh, M14 news is coming out uh not like Modern Masters, which apparently we're not getting previews for yet. But anyways, Magic 2014, let's just stick to that. Now, there is a number, there are a number of creatures uh which are revered amongst Magic's history. Slivers being one of them. For those who are unfamiliar with Slivers, they've appeared in previous sets, uh, most recently in Time Spiral Block, and they are lean, mean predators. I kind of describe them as worms, but they're very alive, they're very pointy, they've got chitinous armour, and they have a singular claw emerging from the middle of the chests. And they are the faceless alien predators which will just swarm over you if you're not careful. Um, I'm not actually sure of what the precise lore of them is, but that's how I envision them. And one of the... um One of the storyline things about them is they are a hive mind. If one sliver knows something, all slivers know that thing. And they all sort of evolve together. So in the past, we've had slivers where it just says sliver creatures have trample. Sliver creatures have flying. Sliver creatures get plus two, plus oh, or something like that. And all the slivers on the board gain all the abilities of all the other slivers. So you have a sliver with trample, you have a sliver with haste, they are both haste-trampling slivers. And if your opponent then plays a sliver with flying, then they're haste-flying trampling slivers, all three of them, even though they're on different sides of the boards. Because slivers were the last bastion of giving global creature buffs. So, all slivers gained the ability. It doesn't matter if it was yours or your opponents, all slivers gained the ability. Well, slivers have returned. They are coming in M14. They have lost that niche, which they were the last ones to hold on to. So the new slivers, for example, Ground Shaker Sliver, says sliver creatures you control have trample. So clearly, we can tell New World Order has come into effect. I mean, Maro has said this. So New World Order, for those who are unaware, it's about keeping cars a common pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not to say you can't do complicated things, but it's trying to make it pretty intuitive and straightforward. And, you know, you don't have to use all of mental energy to understand the cards. So, sliver creatures you control of trample make a lot of sense. You just look at your slivers and you go, right, they will go trample. Fantastic. It's a bit more complicated if it's just said sliver creatures have trample, because then you've got to look at the opponent's side of the board. And you need to go, well, what slivers do they have? And the abilities on their slivers affect my slivers. And a common, that's a lot of mental energy just keeping track of sort of the global sliver buff. So, the new slivers coming out in M14, only affect the slivers that you control they do not affect the uh, your opponent's slivers so a lot less mental energy but it has lost that niche that unique selling point the slivers have held on to for longer than anyone else the other thing artwork if you look at them we have ground shaker sliver who looks a bit like a gorilla bounding through the forest we have blur sliver who kind of looks like a hound i would like to say Battle sliver is a four armed humanoid with sort of big dreadlocks. I mean, slivers have never been humanoid. Slivers have never been vaguely humanoid. They, they they have they've got a head, but they have no face. They've got a live body, a bit like a snake. I suppose a snake's a better way to describe them than a worm. But they've had a singular limb, and you know, there are variations in that. You know, flying slivers have wings and we've had two headed slivers before, and uh we've had gem hide slivers, so they've had they've all had mutations to represent their different abilities, but they have never been humanoid. And kind of most of the slivers we've seen are humanoid to some degree. You know, they've, they've got four limbs, at least some of them have six. Uh, they've got clearly defined heads, clearly defined limbs, which aren't just blade limbs. Uh, well, I say this, but striking sliver actually has a massive blade limb. But they have evolved, and they don't look like slivers. And putting the aesthetics beside the, the mechanical changes... They, I kind of wish they didn't call these slivers and just create a new race and just said, okay, these races, yeah, they all share abilities a bit like slivers, but they're not slivers and not quite as cool as slivers because, you know, that's how these guys feel. They feel like the uncool slivers, you know, because it's, you control and they're humanoid and it's like, but you, you guys, you were, you were the swarm. You were the faceless, writhing, scuttling, clicking, uh you know, swarm, and now you're humanoid. We're going to see you coming. You're not sneaky and infiltrating anymore. You're bounding through the forest, smashing things up, or you've got four limbs, and you're tearing things apart rather than sort of, like, stabbing them through the chest or however slivers actually worked. It, uh, yeah. So slivers are coming back, which is cool, but they're not the slivers you knew and loved. I mean, how much you hate the new slivers. Maybe that's a strong word, but, you know, your your appreciation of new slivers will be based on how much you had invested before. I mean, if you've never seen slivers before, it's going to be pretty cool having a common, and uncommon, and undoubtedly rare as well, effectively lords. I mean, if you look at the R&D description of lord, a lord is a creature which gives other creatures a benefit. And all slivers are like that. Um, artifact slivers tend not to be, but they're few and far between. I'm sure we'll see some in this, but, yeah. Slivers are back. Not as you knew them, but still probably pretty cool. And one good thing we can say about M14 drafting, there is a strategy other than doing two colours of whatever you like and that sort of regular, uh I don't want to say boring, but you kind of know what you're expecting when you're drafting a core set. Slivers, five colours, madness, it's going to be great to see. Right, let us move on from M14 to Jeweled Planeswalkers 2014. So I've a scream from the rooftops, okay, maybe I haven't, but Jeweled Planeswalkers is the learning tool, it's the entry, it's the gateway into magic. If you have a person who is interested in getting into magic... It is awesome if you can teach them. It's awesome if you can show them cards. It's awesome if you can play with them and point them stuff. But they should also be playing Duel of Planeswalkers 2014. It is not the only learning tool they should use, but it is a great way to understand the rules, to get a feel for some deck building, for how different colours work, what different deck strategies there are, and it does enforce the game properly in the limited way that Duel of Planeswalkers does. it's, it's, It's not... Magic Online, but it's not... It still it holds your hand, and it does enforce the rules properly, which is a great learning tool. Anyways, Jewel of the Planeswalkers 2014. Like the last two Jewel of the Planeswalkers games, which had Arch Enemy and Plane Chase, there is another special game mode in Jewel of the Planeswalkers 2014, and it is sealed, which is so fantastic to hear, because from the learning tool perspective, I mean you come to FNM and you this is your first time, and you don't know what draft is, or you don't know what sealed is, and all of a sudden you're having to play in a sealed or a draft event and you're going, what is this? Why am I not using my cards? Uh Why am I getting random boosters? How am I supposed to build a deck? Why is it 40 cards or 60 cards? All these questions will, well they won't all go away from having sealed in of Playing Rockers 2014, but when people turn up and they see a limited environment, whether it is sealed like they've seen in the computer game, or whether it is limited, they'll have an understanding of how to deck build, um about making choices, about uh trying to find strengths, understanding that, yeah, you can't really go, well, you can go five color, but there are clear disadvantages for going five color. You know, you should stick to two or three colors, uh two with a splash, ideally. they um, are talking about a core set. They're going to learn deck building skills. They're going to learn about the, the joy of creativity because jewel uh, of planeswalkers games, you've been handed pre-constructed 60 card decks and you can you unlock cards, and you can add cards, and you can exchange cards, but you never. Get that blank piece of paper at any time where you just go, right, what sort of deck do I want to make? Cause even if you want to, uh, even if you lock all the cards in a deck and you want to simplify it, all you can do is like reset it to the default deck. You can't take all the cards away and, and just start looking through all the cards you've unlocked and then pick which ones you want to add in. You can never go below 60 cards. It always locks you in a minimum 60 card deck. You never have that blank piece of paper, but sealed in Jill of Planeswalkers 2014 will hopefully give us that blank piece of paper where literally you start off with a deck, deck size zero and it's all you from there on in, and that would be fantastic. So that is Jewels of the Planeswalkers 2014, Magic Online. Now, Dragon's Maze is now out, so if you are a Magic Online player and you've yet to enjoy Dragon's Maze, it is out. Uh, I was saying this two weeks ago, we've been talking about pre-releases, but no, it's just on Magic Online. It is there for you to enjoy, have, savour. Go ahead. Dragon's Maze, now available for all... Uh, last time, we spoke about premier Play Changes. Now, there's been an update, and I'm not going to go terribly to death, but let's just say, to get Platinum, you now will need 45 points, not the new raised 50 points, so it's basically the same as before. Furthermore, Silver Level Pro Tour Invitations. Um, at the beginning of each pro season, if you earned enough points to become Silver last season, you'll get an invite to a Pro Tour. And when you also reach Silver level in a season, you'll get an invite to the next Pro Tour. So if you hit Silver, you get an invite, and that's hanging there. But when you re-hit Silver again, you get a second invite. Uh, however, these do expire at the end of each Pro Season. So, for example, this current season will end with the Corset Pro Tour. So the M15, or whatever they decide to name it, Pro Tour happening next summer. So if you uh, are currently Silver, you'll get an invite to Theros. But if you happen to hit uh, Silver level just after the Corset Pro Tour or something like that, then you're not going to get the Pro Tour invite for... or you're not going to get that Pro Tour invite, but you'll get a Pro Tour invite just for being silver. I'm not going to go into it. If you want to see it, uh, there was an article ninth of May 2013 code Revisions 2013-14 Premier Play Changes by Helene Bergio. I believe is how you pronounce her name. I do apologise if I mangled that. Anyways, that is the news. Let's move on to our first main topic. So, I have become keenly aware of a number of events happening, at least in my local vicinity, over the next few weeks. And um, they handily answer a question, which um, I'm sure some people have asked, and I know I certainly did when I came back into the game, which is, how do you progress in the game of Magic? So you start off at the kitchen table with a friend teaching you how to play, and you get introduced to it. That's sort of where everyone begins, I would imagine. From there... Jewel of Planeswalkers 2014 or any Jewel of Planeswalkers. Let's be honest. Good luck if you're playing 2014. You clearly listen to this in the future. From there, you can move on to FNM. That's probably the first sort of competitive stepping stone people walk into. Uh Friday Night Magic is it's friendly, it's fun, but you know there are prizes on the line, boosters, promo cards. I mean, it's not big money, obviously. So I mean, depending on where you are, is how competitive it will be. I know we're not terribly competitive at my FNM. But you know, there's a level of competition, and you've got the quantity of players as well to actually test yourself. You're not just playing against your friend and he's sort of or she is a known quantity, and you know how good she'll be at the game and what her strengths are, what she prefers, and stuff. but it's a lot different when you sort of paired up against random people and The other good thing about f and m of course you get to make friends um i hope certainly hope everybody goes to f and m because magic players are genuinely friendly and we do like building a community hopefully you know once you start attending fnm you'll get to know people and uh you get new friends and there's nothing wrong with having new friends fnm is not a terribly competitive environment unless i don't know maybe you're at the best store in your country and that's where the pro players play because you live in a rather small country i certainly know dundee is a lot more competitive and uh than where i go But, you know, uh, even if it's still competitive, it's still not anywhere near sort of Grand Prix or Pro Tour level, that's for sure. Now, this weekend coming up, uh, sorry, the 25th and the 26th of May, we have the Dragon's Maze Game Day. So, if you're not aware what this is, hopefully your local store is running it. Uh, It's the once-a-release event, so once every three months, um... A few weeks after a set is released, there is a game day. It's standard. Um, what's on the line? Well, it's a bit bigger than your standard F&M. Now, there should be boosters online, as provided by your friendly local gaming store. There's promotional cards. So, just for attending, you'll get a full art Tristani summoner card. Uh, new artwork, uh, as I say, full art, so it looks cool. And you get that just for turning up and, uh, playing. If you happen to get into the top eight, you will get a foil, full art, alternate art, a Melech is a Paragon card. So if you want a really cool version of uh, Melech for your deck uh, to be your commander or uh, you just like uh, cool foils, then you just need to top 8. If you happen to win the game day, then you'll get an exclusive champion uh, game day mat. It has the artwork for Maze's End on it, which I assure you the artwork is a lot better than the card itself, although I do know it was played at the Pro tour. And of course it has Dragon Maze and Champion on it, so forever you'll be the Dragon Maze champion at your local store. Woohoo! So that's the game day coming up. Now... It is standard, so, I mean, it's funny me propagating standard talk, constructed talk on this show. But I assure you, uh, I do love Limited, and it's definitely my favourite compared to Constructed. But if you do want to step your game up, game days will be slightly more competitive. There is more on the line. Um, it's possible if you've got, say, a relatively quiet store. Like, I've got a relatively quiet store. We don't get tons of people. We're always three rounds for F&M uh, Almost exclusively, but for game day we do tend to get a lot more people. I mean there is a draw, there's a bigger prizes, there are promotional cards, uh you want to play mat because then you get to be the cool kid on the block. I certainly know I'm the current reigning champion of Gate Crash at my local gaming store, and I would certainly love to get the Dragon Maze Matt to um continue my reign. It will attract people from further field uh for the competition, and if you've got a quiet store, then people will come to your store because it's less rounds and they've got more of a chance of getting to the prizes. But that's why it's a step up. So if, if you're doing good at F and M, you should do alright at game day. And it will definitely push you slightly harder than your Friday Night Magic will normally do. In most cases, um, obviously not all. Now, a week afterwards, so the weekend uh, of the 1st and 2nd of June, the third and final Magic World Cup qualifier will be running in your country. Assuming you're one of the 71 countries that participates. Now, this is definitely a big step up from the game day. Because your game day is your local area. The World Magic Cup qualifier is national. Now, how national it is, well, you know, you live in America then your pro tour qualifier is in illinois now this is not geographically center of the country especially if you say from hawaii or from alaska so it's not necessarily going to attract players from that far away but it's still going to attract a rather large crowd and obviously a lot bigger than your local store unless you live in exceptionally small country and your local store is the one gaming store that happens to play magic if so good on you but it's A lot bigger, and the prizes are very top-heavy. I mean, if you don't win, you kind of lose, which, I mean, that's kind of blatantly obvious, but being second is such a step down from first, it kind of doesn't matter if you're not first where you place. Because the person who wins represents their country at the World Magic Cup in Amsterdam in a couple of months' time, and it's a big event. If you come second, then you're going to get some boosters and uh does that really sound like it compares to a free flight to amsterdam um a long weekend of playing magic and the chances to lift the magic world cup and win some money and prestige for your country the money's yours and the prestigious countries and yours i suppose but the point is it's a big step up and this is definitely where you want to bring your uh your A game, if you really want to push yourself. Now, it's not necessarily going to attract the best players in the country, because some of them are going to the World Magic Championship, and frankly, I'm pretty sure they don't want their attention divided between the, what, massive prizes at stake at the World Magic Cup and, uh, sorry, at the Magic Championship and, you know, the probably lesser impressive prizes at the World Magic Cup. I mean, it'd be awesome to win both, but let's be realistic. So, The best players may not come. I mean, some players aren't going to come because maybe it's geographically just too far out the way. I mean, country like Scotland, where I am, I mean, I'm an hour away. Like, the furthest PDQ or the furthest uh, WMCQ, just the furthest competitive event in the country is about an hour away from the car for me. I mean, I'm in a perfect central location from getting to any of the three major cities that happens to run any events. And uh, if it was run in a different city, two hours, maybe two and a half would be the furthest I'd ever have to travel by car. And if I got anywhere extreme, I could just fly. It's a lot different if you're in a much bigger country. Um, so how competitive it is will be based on your country. I mean, if it's, say, a small country like Scotland, all the best players will happily drive an hour or two to go to the WMCQ if they wish to participate. As I say, completely different story if you're in the United States. And, of course, somewhere like the US, there's going to be a lot more competition. There's simply a lot more people. Even if the threshold for the planeswalker points is a lot higher, it's still going to have a lot more people than, say, Scotland, which, whilst it's got, like, well, I don't even know how much percentage-wise of the population in the US, but, you know, we got 4 million people. There are cities in the United States which have more than 4 million people, and this is our entire country I'm talking about. But that just means, uh, yeah, there's going to be less people, but all the best are probably going to be there. So it's hard to state how hard your Magic World Cup qualifier is going to be, but it's definitely going to be harder than game day, and if you really want to challenge yourself, you should definitely get along. Again, it's standard, so you can, in fact, use the same deck as you used to win game day, if you happen to be that person, and have a go and see if you can represent your country at the World Magic Cup, because it'll be awesome. Now, um... PDQs are always going on, and I'm aware that, uh, the day before the World Magic Cup qualifier in Scotland, we have a PDQ down at, in Manchester. If you, though that is arguably a different country, if you want to count England as a different country, it's still Britain, so I could totally go down and play in the PDQ, and the PDQ is again a step up, because getting to the Pro Tour is definitely a more attractive proposition than getting to the World Magic Cup. The prizes are greater, the prestige is definitely greater, and the competition is going to be higher. I mean, it's no longer... Again, depends on your country, but if we have a PDQ in Scotland, English players and Welsh players and Irish players will happily come. The United States, yes, you're probably going to travel less distance to go to a US Grand Prix uh, Pro Tour qualifier because there will be one closer to home that weekend in in all likelihood, but it's still going to be very competitive because the prize is just so good going to the Pro Tour. I mean, and also, to be honest, top 18, you get a really nice looking playmat... You can't argue with that, <laughs> but maybe I'm not aiming high enough. So, if you really want to push yourself, go to PDQ. Now, this is the natural progression I see. You, you start at F and M. You can then play at the game day. I mean, you should play the game day. It's, it's, you're supporting your local gaming store. You shouldn't have to travel anywhere different for it. The World Magic Cup is a step up. Now, you've only got one more opportunity this year to play. So, if you if you're interested. Even if you don't think you're going to win. If you're interested, you want to push yourself a little bit, go to your WMCQ. It's your one opportunity until, like, next April. So definitely go along, have a bash. Why not? Um, the PDQ is going to be a little bit more competitive. There may be less people or more, depending on where you are in the world. It's going to be more competitive, but the prizes are so much greater. And uh cool if you want to have a shot at the Pro Tour. Now, the step up from that is clearly Grand Prix. Now I do want to say, just even if you're playing an F and you're you're reasonable, you know, maybe you win slightly more than half your matches, you know, you're you're three winning, three twoing, uh occasionally winning. And you'll think, well, okay, I'm occasionally winning my local Friday Night Magic, that's something. I'm not gonna suddenly go to Grand Prix and win. This is true. I mean chances are, um, but there's no reason not to go to a bigger event just because you're not going to win, in my opinion. I mean, I do good at FNM. I win uh, more than 50% of my games. Um, I sometimes come top at FNM. And I am better than average at my FNM. But that's not to say I'm on the Grand Prix level. We, we went to the Grand Prix in London. I went three and three and decided to drop. I could have continued going and who knows, I could have like five and four maybe. But, I mean, I was not getting into day two. I was not getting anywhere near the top eight. But I went and I knew I wasn't going a day two. I knew I wasn't going to top eight. Um, that was fine because I went because I wanted to enjoy the experience. And if you haven't listened, uh, we have the GP London, um, episode. I want to say it's episode 13. It's called, uh, The Wand chooses a wizard. It's a Harry Potter quote. Uh, go back and listen. You'll hear us um, reveling in, uh, in Grand Prix London. Because it was great fun, even if we did rubbish. Um, Steve did worse than me, but even he had a good time in the end. Because you're just surrounded by thousands of Magic players. And they all just want to play Magic. I mean, you could just like point at a person and go, You there! Would you like to play a game of Magic? And they'll probably go, Yes. Or if you just want to go, I wish to draft. Are there seven likewise-minded people? You'll find them. And you'll be able to do that not just when the venue is open. You'll be able to go back to your hotel because there will be magic players at that hotel and you'll be able to go to the lobby and go, hey, let's have a draft here. And you'll find the players and you'll be able to play and you'll be able to play any format. You'll be able to trade like mad. You'll be able to uh see pro players. You know, if you want to go celeb spotting then sure. I mean, I, I just walking around, I wasn't even trying to pay attention. It's like, there's Paolo. uh There's Jackie Lee. You know, th- there's Rich Hagen. I mean, Rich Hagen, sorry, as far as commentators go, Rich Hagen is the best, I'm not biased, even though he is British, he is just the best, the enthusiasm of that man, the passion, the the puns, yes, even the puns, do thoroughly enjoy, but anyways, you just look around, you get to see all these great people, uh, and I'm not just talking about pro players and the commentators, you know, people who want to play Magic, like wise-minded people, it's an amazing experience, um... And other events, WMCQs, PDQs, maybe less so. I mean, you're still going to have that community. If you bail out, uh, you're probably still going to find somebody to play against. You're going to be able to meet friends from more geographically dispersed area, but they're all here sharing the same passion as you, doing the same thing. Magically Gathering. It's your hobby. It's your passion. And these people are exactly the same as you. Um, I remember PDQ went to... We got a draft during the top eight draft. I mean, you're just going to find people. So even if you don't think... You're likely to win. As long as you know mentally, like, you're going in and you're gonna give it a shot. I mean, there's no point going along and spending your money and just going ONX and bailing out and knowing you're gonna do that. Like, give it a shot. But, but understand, you're probably not gonna win. And, you know, go with friends, you'll have a great time. And you get to challenge yourself against better players. And this is the key thing about playing in bigger events. The way to get better at the game Magic is clearly playing against better players. Like, if you're just constantly crushing everyone at Friday Night Magic, like, it's not even close. Like, you just go along and you know you're going to win. You're You're playing against much weaker players than you, or maybe very unlucky players. You're not going to benefit from that. I mean, if you're a better player, you're pointing out their mistakes, you're laughing at them, you're a mean, terrible person. No, um... You know, you need to challenge yourself and if you're just crushing F and M, it's not a challenge. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go. Although, you know, picking on people is a bit harsh when you're John Finkel and you're just going to F and M just to win. That's a bit cruel, John, but you know. But if you're not John Finkel, then going to these events, you'll play against the John Finkels, or at least comparatively, and you'll learn to get better. And I mean, if you want to start getting good at PDQs, you're gonna to have to go to PDQs. If you wanna to go to Grand Prix, you're gonna to have to go to Grand Prix. It's like, no one just rocks up to a Grand Prix and wins their first one. Okay. Very few people do, but... You're not a special snowflake. Chances are you're going to have to go to a few Grand prix to get good at it. And uh, to get good at the Grand prix, you're probably going to have to go to a few PTQs, And to go to a few PTQs, you're going to have to be pretty good at Friday Night Magic and maybe win some of those game days. I mean, there is a natural progression. That's not to say you can't go from F and M to GPs. Because I have. I'm not playing in a PTQ. I've not played a World Cup mo- uh, qualifier. I've played in game day and I've won one. But I still went to the GP. I didn't win. I played against some better players. I played against some weaker players. I had fun. And that was my goal. But I also did challenge myself, and did I get better? Probably, probably. Um, I can't necessarily point at any one thing, but I am getting better as a player. So clearly the GP helped out. So yeah, here's your progression. Friday Night Magic, game day, World Magic Cup qualifier, PDQs, GPs, and then the Pro Tour. And once you're out the Pro Tour, you don't need my advice, kid. You're there. So if you've ever been wondering how you should progress in Magic, then that would be my suggestion. But again, I want to say, feel free to jump some steps. Uh, understand, don't, don't have the expectation that you're just gonna rock up to a PDQ and just win it. Can happen, unlikely to. Manage your expectations, I would say, uh, but still go and trying. And, uh, have fun, playing against better players, and, um, yeah, that was, that's the lesson for today I wish to, <laughs> I wish to impart. Um, so hopefully that gives some of you out there a, a clear idea of what to do, and for other people, hopefully, um, Let's paint some of your options. Now, I could mention stuff like uh, TCG player events and Star City events, but unfortunately we, these don't really happen out in my uh, part of the world, so I won't really comment about where these come in the hierarchy, but um, look to them as options. I mean, I I assume they're in there somewhere. I would presume they're more competitive than your game day and your Friday Night Magic, but I honestly don't know where they rank compared to the other options I mentioned. The, the official Wizards branded options I mentioned, but uh, be aware, and yeah, um... Have a look, challenge yourself, have fun. Right, now that I've talked about that, let us get on to what I'm sure a lot of people who listened to last episode will be ravenous to hear. So last episode, I did mention we were running a competition uh, for the entirety of May. I may, <laughs> no pun intended, extend uh, how many episodes I run this competition to. So It may no longer be all the episodes in May. I may extend it into June, because realistically I'm only going to get one more episode out before the end of May and three chances. Doesn't seem too fair. So, anyways, uh, in case you didn't hear the competition last week, you should go and listen to it. um, The entire episode, of course, not just the competition. But the competition is to win a Dragon's Maze um, sealed deck pack thing on Magic Online. So that's the two Dragon Maze boosters, two Gate Crash boosters, two return to Radical boosters, and the two event tickets, everything you need to play in a sealed Dragon Maze block event on Magic Online. So obviously one of the conditions is you need to have a Magic Online account. Anyways. So each week, um or each episode I suppose, um I'm gonna give you a different question and uh the answer is a card. It's a singular card of magic. Uh, you just need to email the name of that card and your magic online username to delvingintodraft at gmo.com. And for this question specifically, the subject line should be question two. So I can tell the differences between which weeks people are answering because otherwise I'll get really confused about why you're answering one question, which clearly isn't that card. And you know, so delvingintodraft at gmo.com, question two. The card you want to guess and your Magic Online username, please only enter once per question. Uh, Don't fire in multiple guesses because that will get you a slap on the wrist and disqualified. Anyways, the question for this week... There are four equipment in Magic that have the term "charge counter" on them. Uh, some of them gain charge counters. Some of them uh, enter the battlefield with charge counters. Anyways, there's four equipment with charge counter on it. One of them is illustrated by uh, Sletvin Velinov, That's S V E T L I N space V L I N O V. One of them is illustrated by Mr. Velinov. The question. Is which of those equipment, which can gain charge counters, or has charge counter on it, was illustrated by him? So anyways, um, once you know which card it is, send the card name, your magic online name, doublingthedraft.gmail.com, question number two. Uh, yes, and as I say, I'm not quite sure how many questions, I'll probably go for four questions, so chances are next two episodes we'll have the final two questions, and at the end I'll do a raffle, and I'll work out a way to get it to the winner. Anyways. Competition time over. Let us move on to our second main topic. And this is going to be a bit interesting, saying I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. So I do apologise. The quality of this may not be quite so good. In fact, the quality of the whole episode may not be quite so good. But I do apologise. Anyways, we are now in a draft format where we have three different boosters. And we have... Not had this since well, the new Phyrexian days. And in fact, I've never really drafted with three different sets before I had a single new Phyrexian draft. So this is my first time to actually get my teeth into something where each of the boosters is a different color. And it does, they do look pretty nice multicolored, the blue, red, yellow. Anyways, this does affect the way we draft. So. Let us go through some of the points. So there is an importance in pack order. I mean, we're starting off with Dragon's Maze, and this has all the pack, all the guilds in it. However, we do know that we're going to move into our second booster, and it has five of the guilds in it. And we also know that our final booster is going to have the other five guilds into it. So this makes a difference for a number of reasons. One of which is, generally we're drafting three colours. When we think about our three colours, we need to recognise what, which of the three colours is represented in Gatecrash. So if I start drafting Grixis, for example, then I need to recognise that I'm going to see Demir in Gatecrash. However, Is it and Rakdos will be appearing in Return to Ravnica. So I should clearly be looking for Demir cards in Gatecrash, and then I should be looking for the other two guilds in Return to Ravnica. Now. This makes it, this is important while you're drafting, because if you start drafting, and you're thinking about the two different guilds you want to look at, like maybe you got in your head, okay, I want to draft Orzoth, and I want to draft Boros. Well, that's good, but recognize that they're both in Gay Crash, and don't forget about your third guild in that Trinity once you had returned to Ravnica. Which, by the way, happens to be Rakdos, again. You gotta, I mean, when I draft, I kind of want to try to pick up cards from two guilds, one of which appears in Gatecrash, one of which appears in Return to Ravnica. So if I start drafting Selesnia, then I'm kind of looking, well, either I need to be Boros, or I need to be Orzov, or, you know, I need to be Gruul, maybe I want to be Simic. I'm clearly looking at the partners in the other booster. So don't... I mean, if you're drafting Boris and Orzhov, that works. Just don't suddenly hit Return to and go, wait, what am I drafting? What's the skill? The car- uh, I'll just draft Monocolor cards. Don't forget, you can draft Rakdos. It's in the blinking colors. So this is important. Um, the other importance is, if you try pushing for... A return to Ramka Guild, if that's somehow your primary focus, then you're you're gonna have this pause in the middle. You're gonna be drafting, say, your Is it cards in Dragon's Maze, and you're gonna have your Flux Chargers and your Goblin Test Pilots and your Dragon Shift, and that's the reason you're going Is it? Awesome. But then you're gonna hit Gate Crash and you can't just rely on hopefully being Is it. I wouldn't go into Gate Crash and go mono blue, mono red cards, that's where I'm going. I would look for your third colour. I would look for a guild which somehow will link, create your trinity, uh, or potentially just create another side of the triangle and your trinity will be formed by your Return to Ramica guild. The point is, don't look at Gatecrash um, when you're drafting a uh, Return to Ramica guild and just try to draft monocolored stick to two colors. Like, it's possible it could work, but it's probably better just to look for a guild which allies itself to the guild you've already picked and drafting Gatecrash. Ultimately, if you're going into t- Dragon's Maze, picking up a Gatecrash guild, then... um then hopefully you can cement on that position once you get into Gatecrash. You know, you you pick up um, Tajek, Blade of the Legion, and then you go into Gatecrash with Boros in mind. But remember, if that doesn't come together, and this is sort of looking at the other side of the coin, if, if somehow that doesn't come together, don't forget, Guild in Return to Ravnica will help create your Trinity, help create that triangle of colours, or it's going to... uh I wouldn't go Monocolor again. I mean, I'm sure you probably can go Monocolor... Uh, not Monocolor. sure you can go two colour in this, but I think three colour is really where you want to be. I mean, there is an abundance of gates, the clue stones, there is a ridiculous abundance of clue stones. It's very easy to support three colours. It's not that challenging. I think you should think of three colours as the ideal strategy. Now, again, not to say two colour can't work, not to say four or five colour can't work. I certainly wouldn't try monocolor. Well that's your thing, you can try it. I've certainly seen monocolor and triple gate crash before. I can say it didn't do terribly well, uh, even though it was mono black world removal, but, you know, um, three is where you're looking, three is a magic number, focus around that and figure out what guild is in which pack and, uh, what you're trying to draft and, uh, what your third secret guild is. It's a bit like your secret guild at the pre-release, you know, you got two guilds, but there was obviously a third guild linking the colors. So, uh, pay attention to that. Now forcing versus reactive drafting, uh this is also interesting. This also does depend on pack order. Like I force is it in pack one because I got dragon shift, fair enough. Um the guy or girl or person, I should probably say, um, to my left is going to be getting cut from blue and from red and from is it. And they will probably pick up on that. Um you'd hope. And when it comes back to the second pack, then chances are they'll be passing you more red and blue cars because they will be picking up your, them, uh, picking them up themselves because they're in the other colours and they'll be wanting that. And when it comes to forcing a colour, if you're forcing for something in Gatecrash, it works a lot better than you're forcing something into Ravnicax because if you suddenly cut all of the Boros, then they'll step out of Boros and then Gatecrash comes along, they're passing to you, they're not taking the Boros because you've cut them, and then you get all the Boris cards. Fingers crossed. Now it's a bit harder if you're going, is it? Because, yeah, you cut them over all the is cards and they pass you all the is cards in Gate Crash. Oh, wait one moment. Is it? Is it in Gate Crash? It's in Return to Ravnica. And by the time you get to Return to Ravnica, you're passing them the cards which they don't want. Um, yeah, it doesn't quite work so well. If you're forcing, you probably want to be forcing a Gate Crash guild. If you're doing reactive drafting, then, um, Return to Ravnica is going to be a lot better, because if you're just getting past all the Golgari cards, that'll be pretty good, because by the time you get to your third pack, you'll probably be being past the Golgari cards again, and Golgari exists in Return to Ravnica, unlike Gatecrash. So there is an importance in pack order for forcing reactive drafting. It's it's better to force Gatecrash, it's better to react to Return to Ravnica. Uh, you can try the opposite way around, um, but just realise you're not going to get quite as good results from doing that. Now, another thing to realise, we've been in a luxurious position for the last year. We've had triple Abyssin Restore, triple M13, triple Gate Crash, triple Return to Ravnica. We can see a card, even out in common, I can see, is it Rune, And I can go, okay, I'm not taking it this time, but maybe a wheel. And it doesn't wheel, and you're like, ah, well, it could come up later in the, in the draft, because you've got two more boosters open. Note, you're not going to get that opportunity necessarily in this if you pass a card you may never see it again if you pass uh kill thrill assassin you will not necessarily see the kill thrill assassin again so be aware that More so than before, if you pass something, you may not see it again. So, you know, you can't sort of bank on hopefully getting what you want. You know, you don't pass the crackling perimeter if you're really going for that strategy because you may not see a wheel and you may not see a second one. A second one may not have been open. There's a lot less opportunity for it to be open because there's only one gate crash booster as opposed to three. So be aware that you know, when you pass something, you may not see it again. You can't rely as much as you could before on sort of getting the second part of the combo or something like that. So not to say you shouldn't necessarily try, but just be aware of the risks you entail um if you do try to push uh if you're if you're building around a particular strategy and you don't quite have the card in the play. I mean this makes it uh exceptionally hard when you're trying to build around a card from a later pack. Like say crackling perimeter is your goal. You can suck up all the gates you like but if you do not see the Crackling Perimeter, then you will just have a lot of gates from Dragon's Maze, a lot of gates from Gatecrash, and no Crackling Perimeter to work with. So be aware, if you're building around a card from a later pack, don't, would be my suggestion. Like, if Psychic Spiral is your plan, don't. Because the chances of winning Psychic Spiral, anyone opening Psychic Spiral, is low-ish. The chances of you necessarily getting it is even lower. And then even if it isn't a pack, there may be a better card for your deck. Uh, so, you know, the chances of you getting the card you want from a later pack to build around is a bad idea. Build around cards really need to be one of your early picks. You know, you could try, maybe try building around a card you don't open, but only if it's from Dragon's Maze, and only if you see it within, like, the first five, six packs. Don't build around cards from later packs. You're going to see them or you won't, but, you know... if you try and build it around and you don't see it, then you've really scuppered your chances, and that's not a good idea, so just be aware of that. Um, being cut from a colour, it isn't indicative of necessarily being cut from a specific guild, so you do not see any white at all in Gay Crash. That doesn't necessarily mean you're being cut from, well, you're not even necessarily being cut from Boros. Maybe the guy taking all the white cards is playing Orzhov. Or maybe they are taking Boros, but they're not going to be necessarily taking the white cards in, uh, future packs. Colors, I mean, any given color is in four guilds. So being cut from a color isn't indicative of being cut from a guild. It's being indicative that somebody's taking those cards because undoubtedly somebody at the table is playing that color because there's somebody at the table playing all of the colors. I mean, even if you see tons of demir cards coming around, somebody's playing in black and somebody's playing in blue for sure. It's just nobody's necessarily taking from that particular guild. So being cut from a color is not indicative of being cut from a specific guild. And um, even if you see, I say... Demir cards coming around. That doesn't mean blue and black are horrendously wide open. It just means specifically Demir is open. But people may be taking all the black cards, people may be taking all the blue cards for their other strategies, for their other guilds. So just be aware that even if you don't see a lot of one color, it doesn't mean you should step out of it. Uh, it doesn't mean a guild's being cut. It's just, that's attractive, those cards. Right. Um, the optimum number of colors to play. I think I've already touched on this before. Three is probably the way to go. I mean, there's a lot of support. You've got the gates, you've got the key, uh, the clue stones, the key runes. Don't forget about go Promenade. It's really good. Um, Chromatic Lantern. I would quite, I quite happily pick Chromatic Lantern. I mean, you play like Chromatic Lantern. Life is joyous. Let me tell you that. Um, I've played with it, uh, two or three times at Traps at F&M and you play it and it's just carefree. Um, your game goes so much smoother. It's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, Chromatic Lantern, really good. So don't, you got a lot of mana fixing. Um, Gates are potentially better than Shocklands. Weird thing to say, but think about it. You've got Gatekeepers, which require two more gates to activate. You've got lots of... Well, you've got other cards which require um gates. You know, Gatecreeper Vine, Ogre Jailbreaker, Crackling Perimeter, if you want to go down that route. Shocklands are good, but gates can be better, even if they are always slower, because having the gate subtype can be quite relevant. Three seems reasonable, because, I mean, trying to draft mono-colour cards in the later two packs. Not quite so good an idea, which is why three colors seems better. Can you do four? Sure, there's plenty of fixing. Can you do five? Yes, there's still plenty of fixing. I mean those clue stones do go round late and you know people are only necessarily looking for like one or two guilds of clue stones or something like that. Plenty will go round and if you're in five colours, you more the merrier. Two colours possible. Again, monocolor cards. Not as common to find in the later packs and not necessarily the best. I mean, obviously the gold cards are the best in general. They've just got a lot more power because they are more colour restrictive. Um, so, yeah. Three is the magic number, I believe. It is possible to go for others. I certainly wouldn't go for mono-colour. But two, possible. Four and five, yeah. Uh, just remember, you're going to have to probably dedicate most of your Dragon's Maze picks to Clue Stones, Gates, and if you're lucky, Shocklands. Right, um... I've sort of come to the end of my, uh, rant or advice column or whatever you want to call it. It's, this is a terribly weird feeling not having someone to bounce ideas off of and having somebody interrupting me all the time, uh, to add in their input. I've sort of blitzed through the points I made with, uh, no real discussion, I apologize, but yeah, that's me kind of done. So, um, yeah, that's how drafting three different sets is going to affect the way we draft. It's, uh, you're going to have to pay attention because there's, there's sort of metagame aspects, especially about which guild do you push and, uh, which guilds are better to push. Like, it's your choice. Do you think it's better to push a gate crash guild and then just see what you get in return to round go? Is it better to push the return of Ravica Guild because, you know, people are going to be a bit more fluid in that pack? It's, it's up in the air. We'll see, uh, with more experience under our belts. But, uh, food for thought and hopefully that's, uh, going to help stimulate your thinking about this draft format because it is a lot different from what we've seen before. I mean, you can happily pass this, the, the splatter thug and no, you'll probably see two, three more come around in triple Return of Ravnica. Not the same when you're drafting Dragon's Maze, Gatecrash, Return of Ravnica so just be aware of that Right um, As i say I think I'm done I do apologise it's a short episode it is uh, a lot harder to carry on a conversation with yourself if you do feel a bit egocentric and I'll be honest my throat is sore from the constant talking. Anyways I shall wrap up the show at this point um, We are on Tumblr as Com. Uh, we are also on Facebook as Delving Into Draft our email address is delvingtodraft at gmail.com and that's the email address you wish to email your uh, submissions into for our competition I'm on Twitter as Ravak underscore R-A-V-A-K underscore. Steve is on Twitter as ToeJamHorse T-O-E-J-A-M-H-O-R-S-E you host also this week with me Craig and that was it <laughs> the intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. the name of the song is "A Cannery and it's Royalty right Free music licensed in Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0